This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. A bipartisan group of American senators agreed to a modest deal on gun control. The proposal will provide resources to states to help keep guns away from people deemed to be dangerous. It will also increase funding of mental health services and make it harder for people under 21 to buy guns. With the support of 10 Republicans, it should pass the Senate. President Joe Biden said that while the deal could have gone further, it reflects important steps in the right direction. Exit polls in France put President Emmanuel Macron's centrist alliance neck and neck with a new left-wing coalition after the first round of voting in legislative elections. Both Mr Macron's ensemble and Jean-Luc Mélenchon's new ecological and social popular union received about 25% of the vote, followed by the nationalist populist National Rally, led by Marine Le Pen, with 19%. The second round takes place on June 19th. Amnesty International accused Russia of committing war crimes in Ukraine. The NGO said it had proof that Russian forces killed hundreds of civilians in Kharkiv through indiscriminate shelling and the use of cluster munitions, which violates international conventions. Meanwhile, Russia destroyed a bridge linking besieged Severodonetsk to another city in eastern Ukraine, severing a vital evacuation path for civilians. The last remaining bridge out of the city is also under heavy shelling, a Ukrainian official said. Britain's economy shrank by 0.3% in April compared with March, a sharper contraction than most forecasts. Production across sectors fell as firms struggled with high energy prices and supply chain shortages. There was a reduction in services output as well. GDP is now only 0.9% higher than it was before the pandemic. An influential new report predicted that the total number of nuclear weapons will probably rise in the coming decade, ending years of decline. All five permanent members of the UN Security Council are looking to modernise or expand their nuclear arsenals, reckons the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, and the chance of their being used seems higher now than at any time since the height of the Cold War. Police in India waded deeper into its sectarian unrest. Last week, Indian Muslims started protesting against derogatory remarks about the Prophet Muhammad made by representatives of the ruling Bhatia Janta Party after foreign governments complained. Police killed two teenagers during clashes on Friday. At the weekend, the BJP-led state of Uttar Pradesh demolished the homes of Muslims alleged to have organised the demonstrations. Google suspended the work of an engineer who claimed that an artificial intelligence system he was testing had become sentient. Blake Lemoyne had published the transcript of a purported exchange he had with the bot, in which it expressed its deep fear of being turned off, which would feel like death. Google warned that it would be dangerous to anthropomorphize the musings of a computer. And fact of the day. 1,000. The number of images produced by a bot for this week's cover of The Economist. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Ceaseless Battle for Donbass 
The week begins with a tension on Severodonetsk, a city which marks the eastern edge of a Ukrainian-held pocket that Russia seeks to collapse. The war in Ukraine has become a brutal slugfest. Russian artillery is pounding Ukrainian positions in the eastern Donbas region, inflicting heavy casualties. Ukraine's deputy head of military intelligence has warned that his army is nearly out of artillery ammunition, with guns chewing through as many as 6,000 rounds a day. Russia had 10 times as much artillery, he said, and Western arms are slow to arrive. Russia now holds all residential areas in Severodonetsk, but Ukraine's army is holding out in the Azot Industrial Zone. Quote, Let me give you my professional opinion, declared the mayor of Kramatorsk, a major industrial city in the pocket, to the New Yorker one week ago. Quote, If we don't get heavy weapons in two or three weeks, we're fucked. China's Zero-Covid Policy 2.0 Beijing and Shanghai find themselves testbeds for a new version of China's dynamic Zero-Covid campaign. Authorities have imposed rolling micro-lockdowns on China's two most important cities, backed by mass testing for tens of millions of residents. Rather than the economically calamitous citywide lockdowns seen previously, Beijing and Shanghai are experimenting with targeted campaigns to find and quarantine individual positive cases and their close contacts within hours. Calibration is proving hard. Days after Beijing reopened bars and restaurants, over 100 infections were traced to a single bar in the city center, triggering quarantine for thousands of people and the sealing of neighborhoods and even individual buildings for up to 14 days. Bars closed again. Many Beijing schools scrapped plans to reopen on Monday. Shanghai, which ended a two-month lockdown on June 1st, ordered most of its 25 million residents into mass testing after an outbreak at a hair salon. Welcome to the new normal. Yet more Brexit negotiations. On Monday, the British government will propose a draft bill giving it unilateral power to change the Northern Ireland Protocol, part of the Brexit treaty it agreed with the EU. To avoid a hard border with Ireland, the protocol keeps Northern Ireland in the EU single market for goods, but that means customs checks between Great Britain and the province. The government wants to scrap these, but the EU refuses to rewrite a treaty that Boris Johnson signed only two years ago. The government hopes to negotiate changes to the protocol with the EU, but thinks the proposed law will strengthen its hand. It also wants the Democratic Unionist Party, which refuses to rejoin the power-sharing executive in Northern Ireland until the protocol is scrapped, to change its mind. Parliament may not approve the law anyway, since many Conservative MPs and peers are opposed. The likeliest outcome will just be more rows with the EU. Costa Rica comes under cyber attack. Costa Rica is so peaceful that it is one of a handful of countries that has no army. Yet the Central American country is under a state of emergency as it grapples with a wave of attacks, of the cyber sort. Some 29 institutions have come under assault since hackers first struck in mid-April. Customs officials have been forced to use paper, hospitals have not been able to access patient records, and teachers have gone unpaid. Treasury systems, including an online tax filing portal, are expected to come back online on Monday. 
but given that the government has refused to pay the ransoms demanded by the hackers, more attacks seem likely. The identity of the cyber attackers is unclear, although they are using ransomware from Conti and Hive, gangs based in Russia. Latin America appears to have become a testing ground for such crime. Peru has been hit too. Costa Rica may be a target simply because it is an easy one. Like many other countries, it needs to invest in its defenses. Golf's Civil War No one takes to golf because they find it exciting. But fans of the sport begin the week beholding a spectacle none can have imagined. A breakaway league that threatens to bring civil war to this most genteel of games. Last week, 48 players competed in Britain for the first of eight live golf tournaments, a series lavishly funded by the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Those who play on the PGA Tour, which organizes tournaments in America, were immediately blacklisted. So far, the game's superstars, such as Rory McIlroy and, despite a rumored offer of $1 billion, Tiger Woods, have shunned the Saudi schism. The live opener was won by Charles Schwartzel, currently ranked world number 126. But other PGA players, most notably Phil Mickelson, have found the lure of Saudi cash impossible to resist, despite sports-washing accusations that they are helping launder the reputation of a murderous autocracy. More may follow as Liv moves to America later this month. The rupture will overshadow this week's U.S. Open and perhaps the future of golf itself. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which Hollywood star's last appearance was in The Killers in 1964, shortly before he started a new career? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jean-Eugène Robert Houdon, who died on this day in 1871. Better a man honor his profession than be honored by it. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.